This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Just a quick shout-out to a nice guy whom I met at the Zoomer show a couple of weeks ago, Gordon Skerritt. Now, he told me that he listens in all the time. Well, great to have you in the audience, Gordon. Okay, uh, what's on tap tonight? Let George Do It. That's first out of the gate. It was an American radio drama series produced from 1946 to 1954. Now, Bob Bailey starred as George Valentine. Clients came to Valentine's office after reading a newspaper that carried his classified ad. And here's an interesting little tidbit. The background music was supplied by Eddie Dunstetter, initially with a full orchestra. When television surplanted radio as the country's primary home entertainment, radio budgets got skimpier and skimpier and Dunstetter's orchestra was replaced by an organ, played by Dunstetter. But that was as of 1949. Since this episode was aired in 1948, we'll get the full orchestra treatment in this episode of Let George Do It, entitled The Wolf Pack. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger is my stock and trade. If you're up against something you can't handle and that has to be kept strictly confidential, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. <laughs> Mr. Valentine, the day after tomorrow, a boy 16 is getting out of a work camp after a year. Instead of trying to get a new start, he swears he's going to do something that'll take him right back there again, or even worse. You've got to help him. You've got to save him from himself. I don't have much money. I'm only 16, too. Only 16, too. But I'll work the rest of my life paying you if you'll do everything you can to help Eddie. I'll be waiting for you tomorrow morning at 7 in front of the Lincoln statue in Chelsea Square Park. It's just signed Emily, George. Yeah. Chelsea Square Park, huh? Brooksy, that's right in the middle of that slum jungle where those so-called wolf packs have been running wild. Yes, and kids just about this age. Always good for an editorial. Young hoodlums, a challenge to society. Well, that's where it usually ends. Brooksy, looks like we're going to be on the job early tomorrow morning. <laughs> George, wait a minute. What is it, Brooksy? Over there, sitting under the statue of Lincoln. There, feeding the pigeons. Oh, yeah. Looks like our girl, all right. Come on, Angel. Let's see how unlike an editorial we can be when we talk to her. Now, that's all the crumbs I have. No use hanging around. Go on. Scoop. Scoop. Go on. <laughs> Emily? Yes? Oh, Mr. Valentine? Yeah, that's right. 
Gosh, I didn't really believe you'd come, and I... Hello, well, Emily. I... This is Miss Brooks. We work together. How do you do? Hello, Miss Brooks. If things weren't so terrible for Eddie, I'd... I'd feel pretty silly. I don't have anything in the world, and there's no reason for you to help me. Well, I... let's just say you write a darn good letter. Now, what about Eddie, Emily? He's a boy I know. He gets out tomorrow. Why was he sent away? The police found him in a stolen car. I see. But he didn't steal it. He thought he was delivering the car to a second-hand dealer for somebody, just to make a little extra money. Well, didn't he tell that to the police? No. He just kept insisting over and over that he didn't steal it. He wouldn't even tell me who got him into that trouble. But he says that since everybody is so sure he's no good, he's going to prove they're right. You know what that means. Oh, now, Emily. Well, I know Eddie. He's lost his temper a lot of times, and he got into scrapes, but... Well, he's not bad. Not really. Emily... You're pretty sure of that, aren't you? I suppose when you believe in somebody, you just do, that's all. All right. Now let's see what we can do. He has no place to go, Mr. Valentine. What do you mean? He only has his father, and Eddie was supporting Mr. Prokosh, selling papers. Yes? Oh, and Eddie was arrested. Mr. Prokosh told him he never wanted to see him again. And Eddie's very proud. He'd never go back home now. Well, people change a lot in a year. Do they? My mother and father haven't. They still think Eddie's no good. And even now, when I went to help him, I have to meet you in the park before I go to school. All right, Emily. Suppose you leave Eddie to me. I'm going to secretarial school now, and in another year, I'll start working. And if you don't mind waiting, oh, I suppose could... you leave that to Mr. Valentine, too. Then you mean you'll do everything you can? <laughs> that and a little more, Emily. Now, suppose we go and have some breakfast so you can tell me all about Eddie. Then I'm going to have a talk with his father. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I want to hear nothing about my son. I got no son. Now get out of my house. Now just take it easy, Mr. Prokash. Look at me, mister. You see this cripple leg? I got that making honest living. Honest living. I know. That's dreadful, Mr. Prokash. But there's still Eddie to think about. I get few pennies from the company every month. I even bite my tongue and take charity from the Morrissey Association. But better I should hate myself than take one dirty penny my son steals. I don't need it. But maybe your son needs you. I told you, lady, I got no son. Okay. Okay, let's just call him another boy, age 16, a boy in trouble and headed for more. But not everybody's sold off in the way you are, his own father. You know, Mr. Prokash, you can worry so much about being right that you can be wrong. Right, right. Such fancy talk I don't understand. Hey, Prokash, I want... Oh. So you got company, eh? What you want in my house? Tell these characters a blow. There's something I want you to tell me. Uh, just who is this imitation Bogart? Huh? Uh, His name is Dan Lucas. He's the worst hoodlum of them all. Look, Pop, Eddie's time's about up. Once he's getting out, I gotta know. I tell you nothing. You heard me, I gotta know. And you're gonna tell me all right. You what? Let go. That flashy tie you're wearing. You don't nod at half tight enough, so I'm gonna help you. It's not good manners for a tough guy like you to be pushing helpless people around. Stop it, will you? You see what I mean, Stanley? George, look out! See the kind knife he carries? Yeah. Not the kind you peel potatoes with. Why, I ought to... George, let go of him. I, I just got one thing to say to you, Mr. 
Stay out of this neighborhood after dark if you want to live. Which way do you want to go downstairs? On your head or on your feet? We ain't through with you. You need a procure. Beat it. Take that collapsible stiletto with you. Let's hope the cops find it on you. Still have nothing to say to us about Eddie, Mr. Prokash? Nothing. You see the kind friends he has? I would rather die than... All right, let's go, Brooksy. There's one more place I'd like to stop before we meet Eddie tomorrow. What do I know about Eddie Prokash? Just about everything, Mr. Valentine. Good, good. That's why we dropped in to see you, Mr. Morrissey. Mr. Prokosh says you and the Chelsea Square Association have been helping him out every month. Well, Miss Brooks, we're sort of a political club, as you know. But we believe in really taking care of our own down here. So I understand. Naturally, we hope to win votes. But in a tough neighborhood like Chelsea Square, there are other things that are more important. Giving out turkeys come Thanksgiving and arranging a boat ride in the summer just aren't enough. Oh, we do much more than that. We cooperate with the police, even get to the judge when one of our boys gets into trouble. We've been talking about putting up a playground, too. Well, I could get the bare facts of what happened at juvenile court, but I thought a man like you, whose business it is to know what's going on, could tell us more than that. We understand Eddie didn't even try to defend himself on that stolen car charge. Yeah, I know, but I'm afraid there was very little he could say. He was caught red-handed. Very unfortunate case. But I'm afraid not at all unusual. Say, tell me, Morrissey... Why would a young hooligan like Stan Lucas be interested in knowing when Eddie gets out from the work camp? Lucas? Yeah, that one. There's really a neighborhood problem. Mm, I can imagine. But Stan's almost a man now. I don't see what he could have had to do with Eddie Prokosh. Apparently, he had a lot to do with him, Morrissey. But it looks as though we won't get the real picture of Eddie till we talk to the boy himself. <laughs> Are you going in the town? How about a... Uh, Why knock yourself out, kid? I'm going back to town. I'll give you a lift. What? I didn't see you parked under that tree. Hop in, Eddie. Okay, thanks. What? How did you know my name? I've been waiting for you, kid. But we'll go into all that later. Emily, she's just a crazy kid. <laughs> and I suppose you're a brainy old man. Yeah, well, I know what I'm doing. And you can let me off with the next cross and I can get a bus, you know. Ah, no, just keep your shirt on, Eddie. Ah, uh, that kid gets crazy ideas. I know what I'm doing. I don't need anybody's help. Okay, okay, so you're on your own. Well, let's set it up this way. Look, I live by myself. What do you say we go home and have some chow? You might decide to bunk over with me until you know what you want to do. I know what I want to do. Hey, uh, mister, you sure you're not a cop? <laughs> well, some of them are my best friends, Eddie, but I don't happen to be one. No, it's just like I said. I had a little talk with Emily while she was feeding the pigeons in the park. You and... mean Emily still sits by that statue and... Well, okay, I guess there's no reason why I shouldn't eat your food. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. There's only one thing a woman likes better than to see a man clean up that last drop of gravy on his plate. Oh, what's that, Brucey? 
two men doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I sure packed away a lot, didn't That's I? That's why I was here, Eddie. Go on, rave some more about my cooking to Mr. Valentine. It may help. Uh, See you in the office in the morning, George. Glad to have met you, Eddie. Yeah, me too, Miss Brooks. Well, thanks, Angel, for being chief cook and bottle washer. I do see those dirty dishes in the sink. <laughs> Good night, George. Oh, uh, Mr. Valentine. Yeah, Eddie. Thanks a lot for the meal, but I gotta get going now. No, Eddie, no. You're gonna stay right here tonight. Now, look, now, I look, said it. You're stewing about something. You can't wait to get it out of your system without thinking of the trouble it's gonna cause everybody. Including yourself. Will you stop preaching at me? You got no right just because you give me a meal. I'm getting out of here. Not tonight, you're not. Now, look, kid, give yourself a chance to sleep on it. You may feel differently in the morning. I'm leaving by that door, so get out of my way. Now, I don't want to have to get tough with you, but yes. I'm... Okay, you asked for it, are you? No! for it, too. Oh, what happened? Just a little judo trick I had to learn once. Oh. Yeah, it came in pretty handy in Salerno. Hey. Hey, you mean you were in that fight in Salerno? That's right. And the guy coming up, he wasn't supposed to land on a nice, soft couch like you just did. Oh. Well, Eddie, there's no reason why we shouldn't settle down and listen to the fights now. Oh, yes. What? When you do go to bed, just remember, I'm a very light sleeper. So? So, don't get any fancy ideas about running out on me. Okay, Eddie, time to get up. Hey, Eddie, did you hear me? Rise and shine. Oh, that's it. Say, Eddie, if you want to try my new electric razor, you can... Why, that little... Now, wait. Oh, great. Well, he did leave me a note. That's something. I wasn't asleep like you thought when you went in to take your shower. I even washed the dishes to pay for my room and board. Now, you and Miss Brooks and Emily better stay away from me. You were so anxious to know what I was going to do, now I can tell you. I'm going to take care of Stan Lucas. Turn to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about wear and tear. Most motorists believe, and quite naturally, that automobile engines wear out faster when they're running. But that's not true. Your car faces its biggest danger when it's standing cold. For that's when rust, caused by condensed moisture inside cylinders, starts to work. And that's where RPM motor oil can help you avoid a repair bill. RPM's special compounds keep a rust-proof oil film on all engine parts all the time. Whether your car is running hot or standing cold, RPM clings stubbornly to vital wear points. And consequently, rust never has a chance to get started in your car. No wonder it's the two-to-one choice of Western motorists. Next time you need oil, ask for rust-fighting RPM motor oil at any standard station or independent Chevron gas station. While you're there, ask for a free copy of Batter Up. It's a wonderful handbook on baseball, a gift to you from independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. (laughs) 
Now back to tonight's adventure, George Valentine, and to Chelsea Square, a jungle of tenements in the middle of the city, and a wolf pack of boys stalking the streets. That's the background for George's present job, the specific challenge to keep 16-year-old Eddie Prokosh from committing a serious crime, as he promised. Good morning, George. Hey, you only shaved on one side of your face this morning. Okay, so that's the side you can kiss me on. (laughs) But look, we're in trouble, Angel. What? Yeah, playing Big Brother a la Spencer Tracy didn't work out. Eddie beat it while I was shaving. All right, darling, take it easy. Uh, He left this little note. He's out on the prowl. To quote, he's going after Stan Lucas. Oh, no. Yeah. I've got to stop him somehow, Brooksy. I only knew where to find him down there in that Chelsea district. What pool hall, what dark alley, what hallway. And stand with that knife. What can we do, George? Well, I'm going to have another talk with Eddie's father. Look, you find Emily. But where? Well, she gave us the name of the secretarial school. Call her. Get her to meet you in the park. Maybe she can give us a clue on how we can find Eddie. Okay, George. And remember, Brooksy, it's a race against time. can't do that. He mustn't. Emily, stop crying. Yes, Miss Brooks. Emily, I'm not going to talk to you like a child. If you're old enough to fall in love with a boy, this is no time to let him down. I know. I know. You came to us for help. Now we need yours. Can you tell us some of the places where Eddie might be looking for Stan Lucas? It could be anywhere, but I... Yes, dear? I... I should have told you this before, but I couldn't... I mean about Stan. Stan? Did he have anything to do with that stolen car business? I'm not sure, but that's that's not what I meant. What did you mean? Miss Brooks, you said you weren't going to talk to me like a child. Well, I'm not going to talk to you like I was one either. All this year, Eddie was up in that work camp. I've been going around with Stan. Oh. But I had to. Everybody does what Stan tells them to. I wasn't afraid just for myself, but what he said he'd do to Eddie when he came out. Does Eddie know that? No, you know how men are. I wouldn't want him to know. Oh, you poor kid. Well, what could I do, Miss Brooks? Stan said he could even stop the few dollars Mr. Prokosh gets from the association. And he needs that money to live on. Stan was just talking. But you don't have to worry about him anymore. Mr. Valentine knows how to take care of him. I'm only thinking of Eddie. If I could only talk to him, I've got to find him. Wait, Emily, I'll go with you. We'll both look for him. All I want to know, Mr. Prokosh, is whether Eddie's been here or not. He knows better than to come here. Oh, yeah. And I suppose that makes you a great father. Hey, look, Eddie's wandering around. A few words well chosen might save his whole life. And all he gets is a door slammed in his face. I got nothing more to say, Mr. Valentine. Well, I have one more thing to say. Your son's out to kill somebody. K-I-L-L. That's the kind of thing you get the big rap for. Even a kid of 16. My Eddie, he would not... First a thief, then a murderer. Okay, Prokash, I can't waste any more time on you. A 16-year-old girl had more faith in your son than you have. And I've got to keep faith with her. Remember me, big shot? Well, at least I didn't have to look for you, Stan. No, you didn't. Because I was looking for you. Jump, boys, jump. Hold against that wall. Look, Stan. Hold it. Ah, twist his arms back, Stan. No! Oh. I want to do this right. Hey! No! Oh. I owe this mug some uh. imitation bogart. Oh. 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 You a 
had something to say about my knife, didn't you? No. How do you like it? Oh. Now? I had to carve my initials all over that face no, of yours. No, hey, don't it do it, Stan. Oh, no, I won't do it. It's really going to be a pleasure to work him over so even his own mother wouldn't recognize him. I know my diction isn't very good, Lieutenant Riley. Valentine, what's the matter with you? Where are you? Just about got to the hall phone. Look, you got to do me a favor. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But what's wrong with you? I thought I could keep the police out of a boy's life, but it's way over my head now. I need your help, Lieutenant. Okay, shoot. Look, pick up two boys down in Chelsea Square fast. Eddie Prokosh, about 5'8". Freckles on his nose, wears a leather jacket. And Stan Lucas, get it? Stan Lucas, yeah. He's a, a dirty, vicious... Oh, Valentine. Yes, you stay where you are. Don't worry, Lieutenant. I can't help myself. Hello, Angel. George. I know. George. I know what you mean. The guy doesn't look his best in these hospitals. Oh, darling, your face. Look, what about Eddie? Did they pick him up? Yes. Before he gets to stand? Uh-huh. Oh, good, good. Not quite so good. What happened, Brooksy? Lieutenant Riley has Eddie in jail. Huh? They found a gun on him. But if he didn't get the stand, The then... gun was taken from a watchman in a holdup this morning. Eddie? No question about that gun. But, Brooksy, when that guy's wrecking and now this... I know. But, George, what do you think you're doing? Where are you... Oh, I'm getting out of here and have a talk with Eddie in jail. <laughs> You gotta talk. What about you and that watchman? What difference does it make what I say? Nobody will believe me. Come on, Eddie. Come on. Uh, I bought that gun from Swenson, the pawnbroker, just a couple hours ago. What? Yeah, I was going to use it on Stan. Well, did Lieutenant Riley check with the pawnbroker to see if your story was right? Yeah, sure, but Swenson told him he hadn't seen me since I was sent away. Uh-huh. Shouldn't be any surprise to me. I should be used to getting framed. Now, look... You tell me the truth, huh, Eddie? I tell you, I was nowhere near that factory this morning. I was out looking for Stan. And it was Stan who framed you on that hot car deal. That's right. Well, why didn't you say so when you were arrested? Well, what proof did I have? He, he would have lied his way out of it. And he wanted to get rid of me so he could have Emily for himself. Yeah, I know all about her going on with him while I was away. One of the kids up at camp told oh, me. Now, wait a minute, Eddie. You got Emily all wrong. Yeah, yeah, You sure. know why Emily was going out with Stan? She explained all that to Miss Brooks. I'm not interested. She was afraid of what Stan would do to you when you got out. And he said he could stop the allowance your father was getting every month. What? You, what's that? You heard me, Eddie. If Emily were giving you a runaround, she wouldn't come to me to keep you from making a darn fool of yourself. Yeah, but... Uh, nobody does anything for anybody unless there's a payoff in it somewhere. Nobody gives a good hoot about me anyway. Look at me, tough guy. My face, I mean. Dan and my gang did give you a good going over, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. A very artistic job. Do you think I'd look like this if I didn't give a good hoot about you? Well, And I, I... suppose the payoff on this for me is going to be a million bucks. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Valentine. Okay. Okay, Eddie. We understand each other. Now, I'll show you how much I believe in you. Here, take this. A knife? Yeah, that's right. Wolfpack style. A la Lucas. 
I don't get it. I'm going to talk to Lieutenant Riley. And you're going to have a chance to talk to Stan alone in his cell when they bring him in. You, you mean you're going to let me loose with him? With this? That's right, Eddie. Oh, that'll be standing with me. Now, look. We've got to get Stan to talk. And he's not giving out for the police or for me. You're the only one who can make him talk. Now, you listen closely. All right. All right, I don't mind playing ball with you, Valentine. I'm all for helping the kid. Thanks, Lieutenant. But you realize the spot I'm putting myself in, letting Eddie have a knife when he talks to Stan? We'll be right next to the cell door. Go right in, Mr. Morrissey. We'll come and wait for you. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you, Morrissey. How are you, Lieutenant? Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Morrissey. I see. I see they're keeping you stepping down there in Chelsea Square. That's right, so, but we do our best. Well, Valentine uh, thought you ought to be in on this Prokosh case. Eddie's one of your boys. You know. I know. Yeah, we're going to hear Eddie's side of the story. And if it sounds convincing, we know you'd want to help. I'm glad you thought of me. Okay, let's get going. Sergeant! Bring the Prokosh boy to cell nine. We'll be right there. <laughs> Okay, Eddie. The lieutenant says you can talk to this guy in five minutes. Thanks. <laughs> well, well, well. How'd you get out, Bokash? You didn't stay out very long, did you? No. You saw to that, Stan. Oh, and you're talking through your head. Am I? You want me to give your regards to anybody when I get bailed out? Emily, for instance? You're not getting out of here. What are you doing? You ought to know this trick. How to hide a knife in your shoe so they don't find it when they search you. Hey, Eddie, put the thing away. I've been waiting to catch up with you, Stan. Look, stay away from you me. You framed me. Running those stolen cars. Well, now you're going to pay for now, it. Look, take, take it easy, will you? Didn't you? Look, I, I, I didn't mean to frame you, Eddie. It was all a mistake. Help! Somebody help! He's going to... Stop! Well, I was looking around for a gun, and sooner or later I'd wind up at Swenson's. So you planted that hot gun there. Yeah, 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 that's right. But look, kid. Help get this guy out of here. You hear me? Get him out of here. We'll get him out of here, all right. They were right. trying to murder me. Hey, what are you doing here? You got a good memory for faces, Stan, especially ones you've been working on. Gosh, Mr. Valentine, it worked. You heard him, didn't you? Yes, Eddie, we heard everything. Look what's going on here. You got no... Shut way. up. Mr. Morrissey, get me out of here. I didn't do nothing. Nevertheless, you say the best, Stan. Look, you can't let him railroad me like that. I'll do everything I can, same as I would for everyone else from our district. I guess you're going to stay put, Lucas. And the rest of your gang will be sent to a place where they can learn to do something useful with their lives. Come on, everybody. Wait a minute, Lieutenant. Huh? Isn't it going to be kind of crowded in here for Stan and Mr. Morrissey? What are you talking about, oh, Valentine? What do you mean, George? That was some nice double talk between you and Stan a second ago. The less he says, the better. The better for you, you meant, didn't you, Morrissey? Now look, Lieutenant. And you, Stan, you said, you can't let them railroad me or I'll... Well, I, uh, or you'd I, give I, away I, the whole works, wouldn't you? Morrissey was the real guy behind the stolen car racket and a lot of other rackets down in Chelsea Square. Morrissey, you were using Stan to bully the other kids in the line. That's why Stan boasted he could cut off the little money Mr. Prokosh was getting from the association. Well, you don't seem to have much to say, Morrissey. Everybody knows my reputation. Oh, yeah, yeah, the big power of the neighborhood. Big enough to make Swenson the pawnbroker perjure himself so you could be rid of Eddie. I think you can get Swenson to talk now, Lieutenant. I told you he sold me that gun. You, you got this all wrong, Valentine. This Lucas boy here has caused all kinds of trouble. If he tries to implicate me, surely no one is going to leave him. Look, Marcy, you're not going to walk out and leave me holding the bag. Valentine is right. 
I got lots of proof. Keep quiet, you little rat. See what I mean, Lieutenant? On second thought, it wouldn't be safe to leave them both in the same cell. Mr. Valentine, what's that saying about an old fool? <laughs> well, I don't know about that saying, Mr. Prokosh. Why not settle for another one? Better late than never. Except for you, I would have made a terrible mistake. Thank you. George, come here. Ah, what is it, Brooksy? Look down there, out of the window. Huh? There's Emily and Eddie sitting on the stoop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Offhand, I call that romance, ain't you? And offhand, I remember a saying, too. Hmm? Speak for yourself, John, if you know what I mean. And now, a message of importance to motorists. The merry month of May means a merry vacation for a lot of folks. And if you're one of them, here's the way to start out safe as well as happy. Just make sure your car gets a vacation check at a standard station or an independent Chevron gas station. Do this a day or two before you start out. When the men at these service stations inspect your tires, battery, crankcase oil, spark plugs, all the vital parts, they give your car the same thoroughgoing care they'd give their own. While you're getting this important vacation check, get a new keyless gas cap, too. It has a simple combination lock, no key to lose. And it guarantees your gasoline is safe from theft during your vacation trip and whenever you park your car. Keyless, self-locking gas caps are another better motoring item available at independent Chevron gas stations and at standard stations where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Oh, hello, Angel. Oh, darling, I thought you'd never open your eyes. Oh, why doesn't somebody turn that radiator off? It's hissing. We're back in the man lock at the tunnel, George. Oh, what happened? Well, you were down here this morning, and you must have come up too quickly, and you got the bend. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember now. And coming up, and then everything went blank. There was another accident in the tunnel. What? Oh, hey, I'm beginning to remember a few things now. And I'm pretty sure I know what causes these accidents. Brooksy, quick, help me over to that phone. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. It's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. For deep down laughs and listening enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for deep down coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House with extra flavor in the blend because of choice Latin American coffees skillfully combined. Extra flavor in the cup because Radiant Roast develops the full flavor of every coffee bean. And the result is that today more people buy Maxwell House 
than any other brand of coffee in the world. You know, folks, the George Burnses are so happily married that a newspaper has chosen them for the finals in its search to pick Hollywood's happiest Mr. and Mrs. We find Gracie now talking to a woman from the newspaper. And so, Mrs. Burns, our search for Hollywood's ideal husband and wife has narrowed down to you and one other couple. Well, this is a wonderful surprise, Miss Ettinger. But really, George and I aren't so much. We're just plain, ordinary, everyday, delightful people. (laughs) Well, Mrs. Burns, since you're so happily married, perhaps you'll have some advice to pass along to young girls in the matter of choosing the right husband. Yes, I have. When I was very young, I made up my mind that I would find the perfect man. Men with personality, looks, brains, talent, and charm. I searched for three years before I finally married George Burns. Then your advice to young girls would be... Do just what I did. Give up the hopeless search and marry the man you love. And... What is your recipe for staying happily married? Well, personally, I try to observe the mistakes that other wives make and avoid making those mistakes myself. What kind of mistake? Oh, now, for example, I've seen women ask their husbands for $10 to pay an installment on the radio and then take that money and buy a hat with it. How true. Well, if my husband gives me $10 to pay a radio installment, I pay the radio installment. If I need a hat, I use the rent money. (laughs) I see. I can get a much better hat that way. (laughs) I understand how using the rent money gets you a better hat. But does that make your husband happy? Oh, yes, he loves to move. (laughs) Well, Mrs. Burns, isn't it difficult to maintain a career and a home at the same time? I mean, isn't it drudgery to come home from the studio and have to cook dinner? Miss Ettinger, if you were cooking for the one you love, would you call it drudgery? (laughs) No, I guess I wouldn't. Well, neither does George. (laughs) You mean your husband does the cooking? Oh, now, please don't get the idea that George cooks all the meals. He doesn't. Oh, I see. Twice a week we eat out. (laughs) I must confess that your methods for maintaining a happy marriage are a little unorthodox However, if you can prove to me that you and your husband are happier than the Galens You'll win the contest The Galens? They're the other couple in the finals I'm on my way to observe their home life now At one o'clock I shall return to observe you and Mr. Burns Well, I'm sure you'll find us the happiest couple in Hollywood Why... The minute we wake up in the morning, we have a good hearty laugh. What do you laugh about? Oh, I laugh at my husband's long, woolly underwear. (laughs) Why does he laugh? Oh, it tickles him, too. (laughs) Well, goodbye, Mrs. Burns. I shall see you at one. Goodbye, Miss Attinger. Oh, George, George! Oh, wait a minute. I'd better not tell George about this. He knows the woman is watching us. He'll be self-conscious and won't crack a smile. Oh, Did you what? call me, dear? Oh, well, uh, yes, darling. Um, dear, would you say that we're happily married? Of course we are. We've been happily married for 11 years. Oh, 11 years. It's pretty good for this town, isn't it? 
You bet. Remember when we'd been married two days, they called us the grand old couple of Hollywood? <laughs> That's right. Our marriage has been successful because we realize that married people have to give up certain things. Remember how I asked you to give up betting on the races? Yeah, and I gave it up. You certainly did. And remember how you asked me to stop buying so many hats? Yep. You gave that up, too. <laughs> I certainly did. Yes, I, you're a wonderful husband, George. I was lucky to get you. In fact, I, I guess I'm one person who was lucky at cards and lucky in love, too. Really? Yes. Whether it was poker or marriage, I got the pot. <laughs> Thanks, kid. Oh, oh, I didn't mean that the way it sounded. I meant that you're a prize, not that you have a pot. I say. I love you, darling, and I'd love you just as much if you didn't have one. Thanks again. Do you, uh, do you love me as much as I love you? Of course I do. Well, I'd like to hear you say, darling, I love you. Okay. Darling, oh, I... I like to hear those things, you know. All right. Darling, you can't I... just take them for granted. <laughs> okay. I want to hear you say that you like <laughs> Darling. Just for a little word. Darling. It means so much to us, then. <laughs> Darling. <Just gonna mess. laughs> Gracie. Yes? Darling, I love you. Oh, uh, now, you see, that wasn't hard, was it? Say it again. Darling, well, I... I see you those things, you I'll try it again tomorrow. Yes. Oh, good morning, folks. Oh, good morning, Meredith. Meredith, do you realize that George and I have been happily married for 11 years now? 11 years? Mm-hmm. Gosh, have you been married that long, Gracie? Yes, I have, Meredith. 11 years. Half my life. <laughs> Gracie, you were not 11 when you married me. If you, if you were under 18, you would have needed your mother's consent. And believe me, that we didn't have. <laughs> Did your mother dislike George, Gracie? Well, I wouldn't say she disliked him. I'd say she sort of despised him. <laughs> the feeling was mutual. <laughs> you, you know that place in the wedding ceremony where the man says, if anyone can show cause why these two should not be married, let him speak now? Yes. Well, Mama got up and filibustered. <laughs> But we've been very, very happy, Meredith. Why don't you get married? Me? <laughs> oh, I guess I will someday, if the right girl ever proposes to me. <laughs> it's up to you to do the proposing. Uh, haven't you ever been in love? Oh, yes, George. I had quite a case on a girl once. She played the harp in my orchestra. Fine musician. You liked her, huh? Very much. Her cadenzas were remarkable. <laughs> well, I guess there's nothing like a girl with remarkable cadenzas. <laughs> Well, that's one that you? sings baritone. <laughs> Meredith, hmm? what happened with you and this girl? Well, we used to get in my coupe and drive up on Lookout Mountain. And, well, if I may use an overworked expression, we made beautiful music together. Oh? Well, why did you break up? It just got to be too much work getting that harp in and out of the coupe. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith, you're a ball of fire. Look, why didn't you drive up on Lookout Mountain without the harp? That was all she could play. Oh, Oh, Meredith. You really should find a girl and propose. 
to show you how wonderful married life is, look at George and me. Eleven years without a single quarrel. Well, we had one little quarrel once in the mountains. Eh? No, I don't believe we've ever quarreled, dear. Well, I think we have, darling. A little no, tiny quarrel. No, precious, we haven't. Well, I remember. It George, we have never quarreled. <laughs> but I remember you fussing at me. I have about... never raised my voice to you, but never. Well, answer me, have I? Well, that... Well, don't you dare talk back to me. <laughs> Talk back to you if I want to. Oh, no, you won't. Now apologize. All right, I apologize. (laughs) And then I was right. You were right, you were right. You see, Meredith, I was right. Eleven years without a single single quarrel. quarrel. That's That's remarkable. Uh, Come in. Hi, Burns. Well, hello, Meredith. Hi, Bill. Hi. What's new? Congratulations are in order, Bill. George and I have stayed happily married in Hollywood for eleven years. Well, congratulations, Gracie. Eleven years. Mm -hmm. Gracie, let me look at you. You know, it just doesn't seem possible that you've been married that long. And George, let me look at you. (laughs) Only eleven years, huh? (laughs) Never mind, comedian. You're another guy who ought to be thinking seriously of marriage. Who, me? Yeah, he's right, Bill. You and Meredith should get married. Think we'd be happy? <laughs> you know what she meant. Get yourselves wives. Marriage is the healthy, happy, happy state of living. Happy, 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 happy. <laughs> it's really happy. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Now suppose Anthony never married Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Suppose Romeo had never married Juliet. They didn't. You see, and they're all dead. <laughs> Gracie, you're wasting your time. Marriage just doesn't appeal to oh, me. Oh, but then you're so popular. Well, you could marry dozens of girls. Really? Dozens? It's beginning to appeal to me. <laughs> Take it from me, Bill. You'll find one wife makes plenty to support. Well, I guess you're right, George. One wife certainly makes plenty to support you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going in the den and read the paper. See you later, comic. <laughs> okay, straight man. <laughs> oh, Bill. Now you've upset him. If he isn't happy by one o'clock, we'll lose the contest. What contest? Well, George doesn't know it, but we're in the finals of Hollywood's Happy Marriage Contest. Oh, gee, I'm sorry, Gracie. I didn't know. Well, I've just got to get him in a gay mood by one o'clock. Oh, I know. I'll go in and entertain him. Excuse me, Bill. George? What? Want to see a card trick? No. (laughs) Well, wash my hands very carefully. Now. Now you see the ace of spades. Now you don't. Now the ace of spades. Now you don't. Now you see the ace of spades. Wait a minute. Now you don't. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. I never did see the ace of spades. <laughs> oh. Well, I haven't learned how to do it with the cards yet. <laughs> this is great. This is great. Wasn't trip. that an amusing trick? Are you happy? No, I'm not happy. Oh. Well, here's a joke I heard on the bus yesterday. A man came home and found his wife sitting in the bathtub with no water in it. So he said, honey, there's no water in the tub. And she said, I know it. (laughs) That's the joke you heard on the bus? Uh Uh-huh. That's the whole joke? Well, George, you're not laughing. Is that the entire joke? Well, there must have been more, but I had to get off at third and come up. Gracie. Are you happy? No, I'm not happy. Oh, George, you're very difficult. I'll, I'll try another card trick. Think of a card. Oh, no, no. Hey, 
It's Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. I thought what a lot of pleasure it's bound to give many people. Well, Bill, on the Oregon Trail is not only pleasant listening, but it must recall for a great many families legends and stories of an important part of our early American scene. Yes, for tales have been passed from generation to generation about how the ox teams plotted through that country of scenic wonder. As you know, you can follow that trail today. If you do, you'll touch places that bear wonderful names. Listen to some of them. Independence Rock, Devil's Gate, Sweetwater River, Wind River Mountains, the Valley of the Bear. Names significant to our American scene. And I can't help thinking, too, that in so many homes today, there's another name that's become a part of our American way of life. Maxwell House, a coffee of true distinction. For in this nation of coffee lovers, Maxwell House is bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand. You see, Maxwell House experts skillfully blend these choice Latin American coffees. Manizales for mellowness. Medellins for richness. Other choice Latin American coffees for vigor. Bucaramanga's for full body. The result is coffee so full-flavored and richly delicious that north, east, south, and west, the name Maxwell House is synonymous with the phrase, good to the last drop. George and I will never win the happy marriage contest. Look at the time, 12.30. That woman will be here at 1 o'clock. Yeah, I know it. And George still isn't happy. When she sees him, the Galens are bound to get the award. I sure wish we could think of some way to cheer him up. Well, think, Meredith, think. I'm thinking. What was George doing the last time you saw him really happy and enjoying himself? Well, let me see. I guess he was watching that burlesque show he took me to. <laughs> no, I'm afraid I couldn't do that. The house is too cold. <laughs> what else does George like to do? Well, he loves to discuss politics. He's always... Politics, of course. A good, intelligent political discussion will make him happy. Hey, excuse me, Meredith. George? Yes, dear? How do you feel about Coolidge? 
<laughs> Coolidge. Do you think he'll be elected president this year? Uh, don't think he's got a chance. <laughs> uh, how about William Jennings Bryan? Well, he's got as good a chance as Coolidge. <laughs> Just hope a Republican doesn't get in again. Time the Democrats had a chance. Yes, <laughs> they've really been pushed around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about South America? How do you feel about it? I say, leave it where it is. <laughs> yeah, let's not move it. It's heavy. <laughs> now, um, take inflation. How about that? Inflation? Yes. You tell me. Well, I don't think we should keep it a secret just because we invented it first. <laughs> we should share it with all the United Nations. That's the spirit. Yes. And now, now let's take Congress. The meeting, you know. I know, I know. I got a meeting. Yes. Some people want a long Congress, and some people want a short Congress. And you? Well, a lot of people are against the short Congress, but I say if Mr. LaGuardia wants to run, his size shouldn't keep him out. Fair enough Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, take the poll tax I'm against it You are? Oh, yes That's interesting We're all Americans Why should people pay a special tax Because they came from Poland? (laughs) Good art Yes Now, what shall I take next? A powder, right out that door (laughs) This uh, talk about politics hasn't made you happy? No. Why not? I'm worried about Coolidge's chances. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Now, run along and let me brood about it. Oh, yes, dear. Oh, poor Cal. <laughs> well, did it make him happy, Gracie? No, and I can't understand it. He hangs on Gabriel Heater's every word, not much more attractive. Oh, hey, excuse me, Meredith. Good day, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Postman. I detect a note of sadness in your voice, and you're usually gay and carefree like me. Well, I have a problem. My husband is unhappy, and we're ended in the happy marriage contest. Oh, is there a happy marriage contest? Yeah, didn't you and your wife enter? (laughs) Oh, I forgot. I guess your marriage would never win a prize. Not unless I entered my wife in the golden gloves. Does she still strike you? Mrs. Burns, 20 years ago, I asked for her hand, and she's been giving it to me ever since. Well, into each life, some rain must fall. Yes, but my wife shouldn't happen even in California. I guess you and I are both married to cloudbursts. Oh, no, George isn't that bad. He's just an occasional drip. <laughs> well, compared to me, your husband should be as happy as a lark mm, Say, that's an idea Maybe if you tell George how miserable you are He'll see how much reason he has to be happy Bring him on, I'll fill his little heart with joy And then my wife hit me with the electric iron, tied my hands and feet, and flung me down the basement where I lay for four days. (laughs) Goodbye, Mr. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. (laughs) Well, George, how do you feel now? Are you happy? Happy? How can I be happy when that poor little man is so miserable? But, dear... 
He made me feel terrible. I'm going in the den. <laughs> now I've got to start all over again and make him happy. Yeah, and that woman will be here in 15 minutes. Yeah, let's see now. I know how Clara Bagley made her husband happy recently, but I wouldn't have time for that. What did she do? She had a baby. <laughs> no, I guess that's impractical. It would be a lot easier to make George happy if he wasn't the worrying type. Meredith, I believe you've got it. He'll be much happier if I do all the worrying for both of us. He sure ought to be. Well, I'll stop his worries right now. George? What? From now on, I don't want you to do any worrying. Well, fine. I'll do it for both of us. Right. So, don't worry about the postman. Don't worry about your electric razor. Don't wait a minute, worry wait a minute, about... Wait a minute. What, uh, what happened to my electric razor? Oh, it got kind of clogged up when I peeled the carrots with it. <laughs> you peeled carrots with my electric razor? Don't From worry about... That don't I just worry got? about... Don't worry. From now on, I'm worrying about everything. The fender on the car, too. Fender on the car? Yeah, but I, I sort of ran into the rear end of Mr. Connor's milk truck. Oh, no. Yeah, but don't you worry about it. I'm handling all the worrying. Now, you happy? No, I'm not happy. <laughs> Still brooding about Coolidge, Yeah, huh? about Coolidge. Now, get out of here. <laughs> well, Meredith, that... Oh, hello, Bill. Hi, Gracie. I came back to see if you'd won the happy marriage contest. Well, not yet, and we haven't a chance unless George cheers up. Oh, the little man is still unhappy, oh, huh? Oh, Bill, you ought to see him. He doesn't look like himself. And you're complaining? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do? That woman will be here to observe us in five minutes. Well, you just leave him to me, Gracie. I've got a letter here that ought to do the trick. Oh, good, Bill. He's right in there in the den. Hello, George, old man. Hello, Bill. <laughs> oh, come on, George. Cheer up. Wait till you hear this letter from the sponsor. Wait till you hear the nice thing he said about you. About me? Mm-hmm. From the sponsor? Yeah. Well, read it, Bill. What does he say? Well, I'll read some excerpts, huh? Good, good. Now, get this, the Maxwell House Coffee people are proud and happy to have as their star a man whose charm and talent are on a par with the quality of their product. Wow. Now, that really means something sure. because Maxwell House Coffee is tops. I know. Reach them all. It's appetizing, rich, full-bodied, and mellow. Read uh, the letter. Reach them all. Maxwell House's coffee at its full-flavored best. Good to the last drop. Reach them That's all. why more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. The letter, Bill. What else does the sponsor say? Well, now, get this closing. Yes. Yeah. And it is our fervent hope that this talented and brilliant man will still be with us five, ten, or even twenty years from now. Boy. Because it has indeed been a pleasure to sponsor radio's brightest personality, Bill Goodwin. <laughs> Bill Goodwin. Yes. Let me see where it says that. Right here. <laughs> I thought you said the sponsor said something nice about me. Well, I was coming to that, George. P.S. Tell Gracie's husband we liked his Christmas card. <laughs> That's nice Wasn't that a nice thing for him to say? Aren't you thrilled? I'm a mass of quivering goose flesh <laughs> Well, then don't act so miserable Smile, be happy What have I got to be happy about? What have you got? Well, look at you You've got a... Well, you've got a... Boy, you've got a right to be miserable <laughs> Bill, Bill, did huh? you fix it? Is he any happier? Well... I'm afraid not, Gracie. We were going along fine till the subject of George Burns came up. Now we're both depressed. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, he was a big help. We've got two minutes to go. What can we do, Meredith? You know, Gracie, I might be able to make George happy. Yeah, how? 
Well, I'm a musician, and music hath charms. It hath? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say sure. Suppose I take my flute and then play him a solo. Oh, wonderful. Shall I play him something by Chopin or something by Hooperdink? <laughs> oh, Hooperdink, by all means. A man who was willing to live with that name must have been happy. <laughs> Chopin sounds awfully pretty on a flute. Oh, play Hooperdink. Okay, Gracie. Hooperdink it is. <laughs> you wait right here. Well, what do you want? Ouch! I knew I should have played Chopin. It's too late now. Here comes the woman up the walk. Well, maybe I can bluff this thing through if she doesn't see George. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Mrs. Bird. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Is uh, this your husband? Oh, no, no. My husband, my happy husband is in bed. In bed? Yes, he's so happy he laughed himself sick. <laughs> oh, all we do around here is just laugh, laugh, laugh. Well, let's have the award, huh? Can't I have any peace in this house? Stop all this cackling. Now, quiet. So this is Laughing Boy. <laughs> Who's this old bat? <laughs> Doesn't he say the funniest things? <laughs> That's my happy husband. <laughs> yeah, he's a scream. Well, on behalf of my newspaper, here's the award for being the happiest couple in Hollywood. Are you, you giving it to us? I've got to. But I, I thought you'd give it to the Galens. I'm not going to chase him to Reno just for that. Goodbye. <laughs> Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. Until next Thursday, then, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Gracie, I'm sorry I lost my temper. I guess we really are the happiest couple in Hollywood. Well, sure we are. And that's because you're the boss and I do whatever you say. Oh, I'm not the boss. Oh, yes, you are, dear. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, really, I'm... George, I'm running this house, and when I say you're the boss, you're the boss. <laughs> I lost my head. Just call me bossy. Well, that's good. Good night. Stay tuned to this station because Dinosaur's Open House is coming on in just a second. Dinah's special guest tonight is Jack Carson. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Shadow, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.